Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back for the second show today. That's right. We did a double tea time. We were here this afternoon at three o'clock with Eddie Smith from Belgium. Now we're here with the United States. That's right. I have Zachary Hagden here. I hope I'm saying his name right. I hope when I, he comes out that he'll tell me how to say it and pronounce it right. I've been struggling with that name all day. So I want to do a little disclaimer and then we're going to do a little bit of bio and then we're going to have Zachary join us and we're going to get into some creative writing. That's right. And some books and music, all that good stuff, editing and Zachary's books of eternity. That's right. We're going into eternity, fantasy, fantasy and space tonight. So grab your teas and get ready. So let's get ready with the disclaimer and then we will jump into Zachary and have him join us in the studio. Disclaimer for Miss Liz's Tea Times live show. I, Miss Liz, is going live using StreamYard. Before leaving a comment, please grant StreamYard permission to see your name at StreamYard.com. Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time shows hosted by myself, Miss Liz, is always brought forward in good faith, however, may bring forward dialogue and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the given time of airing. All Tea Time guests and audience participation are responsible for using their good judgment in taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward may include discussion for some where they may be emotionally at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, or the panelist discussion, you may freely contact me, Miss Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in this show in any aspect, I myself, Miss Liz, welcomes you. And should you decide that this show is not made for you at this time, I respect that and I will see you at a later show, show at a later date and time. Now, let me get Zachary in here and then I'll read his bio so you can see who Zachary is as I'm reading his bio to you. Welcome, Zachary. Thank and you. I hope I'm saying your name right. It was close. It's actually closer than some people have got. It's Hagen. Hagen. Oh, I, sh I should know that. I got, some, I got some German in me. It's kind of like a Hagen, like the Hagen's. The... I'm actually not German, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into that a little later in the tea time. So Zachary Hagen, Hagen, right? Hagen, mm -hmm. is a Mississippi based author and editor he's just moved to mississippi writing has always been a passion for him since he was a little kid when he put together his little books from scrap paper the earliest story he remembers writing was about a dragon who gave flowers to children we'll talk about that little dragon a little bit later in the tea time he also teaches creative writing to his students and loves to see their talent flourish when he isn't working hard at his two passions, he enjoys spending time with his wife and dog and making music any way he can. 
So that's why we're going to bring some music in. We're going to bring some editing in. We're going to bring all of that good stuff into the tea time. So Zachary, how did it all start and what got you into creative writing? Oh, goodness. It, well, it started with those little books. I created little packets of paper and stapled them together and would write little stories and draw pictures in it. And it, that's kind of how it got started. It was always something that I wanted to do from as long as I could remember. So what's the difference between creative writing and just writing? You know, I think that creative writing has that element of making something new. Um, my creative writing professor in college explained it that in creative writing, you're actually creating your own primary documents. So in the world of research and academia, you have something called a primary document where it's an original thought. It was the first time anyone wrote something like that. Whereas anything that came after it would be a secondary source. So if someone wrote a paper on my book in terms of um, like literary criticism, that would be a secondary source on the original literature. So what, what age level in school do they start teaching creative writing? It depends. So occasionally we'll be able to teach that in a high school that has a really well-funded English program and um, some advanced studies. Um, but most of the time that's taught on the college level. And when did you write your first book, Zachary? I wrote my first book. I guess I finished it and it was published in 2020, but I started writing it in 2018. Oh, so you really took some time to, in detail, right? I took a big break in the middle of writing it because um, while I knew that I wanted to write, um, at the time it wasn't practical. And so COVID gave me the op opportunity to be home and with, um, actually it was published in 2021. Um, sorry. Um, but being home with COVID, um, it, it gave me the opportunity to really delve in and not have all of the extra stuff. And it's been easier to keep that momentum going, um, now post COVID because I've done it once. Well, actually I've done it three times at this point, but anyway. <laughs> so the titles of your books are what exactly? So Eternity's Well was the first one, and that came out in 2021. Um, earlier this year, Eternity's Mirror came out. And this next month, actually, um, Eternity's Refuge, the third book in the series, is premiering on the 11th. Yeah, I actually found that. I was like, oh, he has a new book coming out October 11th. So everybody check that out. It's actually going to be in November. I had to push it. Oh! Um, because okay. the editing wasn't done yet and I haven't updated the website. So thank you for that reminder. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> update website. Well, that's what I'm here for, right? <laughs> oh, it's so helpful. Um, but yeah, it's going to be November 11th. November 11th? Well, that's an actual a good day to come out. I think it's a good time yeah. to grab a book and sit and have you know, a cup. Kind of start of the holiday shopping season. Right. I mean, some people are starting now, but most people aren't really thinking about Christmas until after oh, no. Thanksgiving or after Halloween at the very earliest. Yeah, let's get Halloween first before we're done yes. Christmas. 
So what is it about the word eternity? Because I see that is in all of your books. Yeah, so it's kind of a thematic tie-in. Um, of course, teaching English, um, I really love symbolism. So there are themes of fire and water. Um, eternity is sort of this theme that that is woven through the books because there's a reality beyond the one that the characters are living in. And they're not necessarily aware of that and they're still discovering what that means. I think that's part of creative writing, right? Is getting inside the magic and the imagination and pulling it right out, right? Something that you wouldn't actually see is in these mm -hmm. books. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what process of writing these books has taught you anything about your writing skills? Is that great? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the different terms that authors will refer to themselves as, but I used to think that there was no way that I was ever going to finish a book because, you know, I had to let it come organically and I had to just sit down and write. Um, and the people that can do that are called pantsers. They don't have to know the story beforehand. I am not that person. Um, Eternities, well, I think it worked because I decided, well, I'm really good at writing essays. And the reason I'm really good at writing essays is because I'm really good at pre-writing. So I decided, okay, this one's going to be different. I'm going to pre-write everything. So I lined up the overarching plot. I lined up how each act was going to go because I write using the three act or the five act structure, depending on the book. Um, and then I had sort of mini summaries for each chapter. From there, I was able to sort of flesh it out, so to speak. I added more to each summary and made it into a real chapter. Um, and then once I had that kind of nailed down, a total of about maybe 300 hours later of working, um, and I had a first draft. So do you want to share a little bit more for the listeners and viewers out there what the three act and five act is? That's the first time I've heard of it. Sure. So three and five act are traditionally used for playwriting or screenwriting. It's this idea that we're going to have a, a first act that's going to be sort of the exposition, sort of establishing normalcy, and then having a pivotal moment that completely upsets what that normal is. The second act is all of our rising actions up into a midpoint where things change again and propel the hero or heroes forward um, through to the um, climax, which is typically the beginning of the third act. Um, there's some wiggle room with that and some people will do it a little bit differently. Um, and then that third act is all of that resolution going up until or falling action, moving towards the resolution and the establishment of a new normal. Well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know any of that. I mean, it's interesting to learn new things, right? And for the listeners out there, they might be looking into writing, creative writing and getting their own book out there. So what advice would you have for somebody who's first time writer and looking into doing this? 
Um, I would say absolutely experiment with what works for you. You know, for me, pre-writing and plotting really works well, but someone out there might find that restrictive. So I would say write a couple short stories, write um, with a good solid plan beforehand, write with no plan. And then one of those is gonna feel more natural and one of those is gonna give you a better product. Um, I mean, we don't like to really talk about it, but no, everyone writes for the art of it, but people wanna sell books too. So if you can write something and have it feel natural to write and to feel good to write and to have a better product with at the end of your first draft, the less work you have to do to polish it and refine it for someone's bookshelf. So go with the path of least resistance. Find what works for you because no one works exactly the same. So did you have help along the way or did you just pick up a pen and just say, you know what, that's something I want to do? I workshopped the first 12 chapters of of Eternity's Well in a creative writing class. Beyond that, I was on my own. Um, you, you just mentioned the workshop, Zachary. So <laughs> is there workshops for creative writers out there? That was something I actually did in a college class. So it was workshopped in class. Okay. But there are absolutely writing groups out there. Typically, um, Typically, they're in larger cities, but with the way that we've moved since COVID, I'm sure that there are ones that are easily accessible to be joined online. Um, I personally haven't because I built a good network of people to help me um, beta read and critique. So I don't have a formal writing, writer's group right now, but um, it's something I might consider even starting myself in the future, starting a... Actually, I take it back. I am kind of part of a writer's group, um, Late Night Writers Club on TikTok. I forget who it's run by off the top of my head. It, it, it's even more, even more runs it. And I haven't been on in a while, but there's a lot of, we would get together and write together, but we don't do a lot of critiquing. Um, well, I'm glad that you brought that up, Zachary, because a lot of people think that TikTok is just video, right? But there's writing groups out there. There's educational groups. There's leading groups. There's mm -hmm. There's a lot of cool things on TikTok besides just little videos of, you know. There are. Yeah. So what do you like about TikTok? You know, I think that the, the portability of the platform, because I don't know why, but to me, Facebook and Instagram feel like sort of these things where you just kind of sit down and you, you do it for a while. There's a lot more planning that goes into taking a good photo, for example, whereas a lot of the videos that I've taken, my hair is not even done or I've just woken up recently. I've, you know, I may have had my devotional meditation time, but that's about it. <laughs> um, and no one really cares. So it's a lot more informal, which I think is nice. It's more laid back, right? Mm -hmm. It's. I find with Instagram and Facebook, you have to really like kind of mask yourself, you know, to get that like, to get that love. Where yeah. TikTok, you, you know, you just wake up and you feel like you're having a mood swing or something. You just get on there and you express yourself, you know, or you have something that you'd like to bring awareness to. So you share it. I find TikTok is really laid back. 
but I'm, I'm finding a lot of educational stuff on TikTok as well that a lot of people are kind of overseeing because they're busy with the other stuff. But I think that TikTok is going to be like the new way of teaching and bringing education to the table as well. I think that there's definitely a place for that. And being a teacher myself, I see some of the applications. I haven't quite figured out how to use it, but as you can probably imagine, I'm rather busy because I just started a, a new teaching job this year and it's actually in another area. I'm actually not teaching English this year, which is weird for me, but um, it, it's a little overwhelming because it's a big change for me. <laughs> so there's lots of big changes coming for you, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you've always taught in English? I have. Since I started, I've taught English. I've taught some music and other arts as well. Um, this is my first time teaching a STEM subject. Oh, so that's completely open. Like it is completely very different, different right? <laughs> but we, sometimes we have to get out of that comfort zone because sometimes we just teach and teach and teach. And then we're just like, oh, well, we need a change too. So, Oh, absolutely. And I will say I kind of like the job security because no one gets rid of a math teacher. It, so I, I feel pretty good about that. I like that aspect of it, knowing that I, I can kind of stay as long as I want and no one's going to want me to leave. There's a safety of math, right? That algebra, we all got to learn those mm -hmm. Y signs and, you know, uh, math used to be my, one of my favorite subjects. And as I got older, I was just like, uh, no, I don't understand any of this. I get, I get very frustrated with math now, but when I was younger, I loved math. I was a math geek. Now I'm a writing geek. I just like to write. I like to research. I like to dig deep. You know, I'm just a geek. Rizlis <laughs> <laughs> is just a geek. She just likes to dig. Like, I like to understand the mind. I'm mm -hmm. more of the mind and science now. I don't know if that's of change with age or if you found that yourself with writing and all that, because you've gone into the space and the fantasy and all that, right? So is there something in there that like fascinates you? Like, Oh, absolutely. I think that fantasy is such a wide open place to play. It's this place where if you set up new parameters, anything can happen. And as long as it makes sense for the world that you've created, it doesn't feel strange to the reader. Um, I will say that creating the mythos and the backstory of this world has been one of the biggest challenges and one of the best times I've ever had. So do you see your books as a movie, as a screenplay one day? I would love that. I would. So any viewers that. and listeners out there that are listening right now, Zachary would love to have his books into a screenplay. I would. I actually, I actually see it more as a TV series. Oh, a movie series, just because I think that it's so difficult to get um, to get a movie done right when you're adapting a book. But chapters are kind of made to be adapted into episodes. So almost like Avatar. Like Avatar or like um, Game of Thrones. Granted, I would not have as many seasons or quite as many deaths as 
I'm I'm into the dragons, the dragons, the thrones of dragons right now. So mm -hmm. yeah, I find yeah the the thrones there is too long. It's been too, the episodes are too long. Like I I prefer the first part, the dragon part. I'm watching okay. the other part and I'm doing Games of Thrones and I'm just like, ah, I don't know about this one. I prefer the dragons. I find the storyline is maybe it's because I love dragons too. My son's a big dragon lover too. So yeah, that's why they play such a big role in my series. Right. So they're, they're so magical and you just never know, right? Mm -hmm. The unknown world. Does it really exist? Those were, were those dragons really here? You know, it makes you really think back. So as a child, you wrote a story about a dragon giving flowers to a little girl, mm -hmm. right? So what was the name of that story? And did you ever publish that story? Oh, goodness. I don't know that it actually had a name. I know I have it somewhere, but we just moved. So it's, it's somewhere in a box. Um, I have not published that story. It was not very well written. I think I was about six. And so I could probably adapt the concept, but it really wasn't worth reading or publishing the way it was. Well, maybe a children's book. You never know, right? Maybe a children's book. It would definitely even have to be, because, I mean, adults have to read the books to children. So it would have to be um, sophisticated enough that it made cohesive sense before I could, before I could publish it. But it's definitely. So have you ever looked back at any of your old work? any of your old writings and say, wow, where was I? What was I thinking? Oh, goodness. Yes. Um, there was, I found a partial, very partial manuscript of something that I was working on, I think when I was in sixth grade, because I've been trying to write a book for that long. Um, and it was this, The basic premise was that this kid found a magic pencil and doodled a drawing of Mickey in a city and fell into the drawing and um, had an adventure with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. And I thought, well, this could be published by Hyperion Press and because they publish Disney-related stuff. Um, that never made it to fruition. <laughs> At this point, I don't know. I feel like that concept has kind of been done to death at this point of people entering into a fantasy world or into a cartoon world. So did Disney have an effect on you as a child? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that most... Uh, 90s kids had a profound love of Disney, particularly the Disney Renaissance, um, The Little Mermaid, The Beauty and the Beast, um, The Lion King, all of those were things that I grew up with. And then sort of the earlier Pixar stuff like Toy Story and um, sort of their first run of movies before they started doing all the sequels and um, I haven't seen anything recent that they've done besides Soul. Soul I, I enjoyed, but I have less time for film. <laughs> um, so I haven't watched a whole lot. Well, and you just mentioned that you have just moved, so you have a lot on your plate, right? I do. Between teaching and finishing up the book for um, 
the release next month and oh the the list continues to grow so are you working on any other books besides the one that's coming out in november i am i started plotting um the fourth book in the series which will probably come out um this next spring awesome See, they're always working. Writers are always working. So I tell we you, are. We, we, we don't get a break when we're writing, uh, you know. So what are some of the creative tools that every writer needs? Really good writing software. Whether that's Word, if that works for you, or there are several online tools. Personally, I use Scrivener. Um, best 50 bucks I ever spent. Um if you need to keep your writing organized, it can separate each chapter. And I'm not sponsored by them or anything. I just really love them. I'll tell people up and down all day, if you are writing long form fiction of any kind and word slows down on you once you get past about 60,000 words, try Scrivener because it doesn't do that. So is it almost like Grammarly um, or is it better? I th I'd say it's better than Grammarly. It doesn't, it doesn't do the, um, the spell check and the grammar check. Okay. Um, so I still use Pro Writing Aid to do my final run through of my, um, my proofreading, but for actually writing all of, writing the first draft and making the first couple rounds of edits, I use Scrivener. So you also do some editing. I've seen mm -hmm. that in your bio. So are you like a professional editor mm -hmm. for others? I am. I've That's still kind of slow going, but I have edited. I don't know when she's planning on either submitting it for publishing or publishing it herself. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but I've worked on a project for a... Well, I guess I'm still working on it because we haven't done the second or third rounds of editing yet. But we, um, I worked on a vampire novel that is in the works right now. Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about that, but I think that it has the potential being really quite good. Um, I also, because I own my own publishing company, we are gearing up to get a children's book done i would like to say for easter because oh, it awesome is about a bunny um oh. i love children's books i'm a grandma so that's what i try to push on my kids and my grandkids yeah. now is books it's like christmas time's coming there's a lot of books coming from grandma liz so. yes it's, <laughs> it's sort of a, a passion project of my grandmother actually she wrote the book and I've done some editing for it and we are getting ready to do the typesetting and the um formatting and the illustration and it's um I'm privileged to have a, a brother who is working on a degree in graphic design and my cousin is a really fantastic artist and so we're sort of all collaborating to get our grandmother's book out and ready for uh, the next generation. My brother recently had a daughter and uh, my wife and I are hoping to have a child soon. So we're wanting 
great Grammy's book to be ready for our children. Well, that's a good legacy as well, too. And a good thank you to your grandma as well. Mm -hmm. That That is really cool. And it's nice when you see the family all come together and bring all their different talents together. Because it's, I find it's like an adventure journey together, right? This mm -hmm. one's doing the cover. This one's doing the graphics. This one's doing the writing. And then you bring it all together and it's like a perfect cup of tea, right? So Absolutely. So since I mentioned the word tea, Zach, if I ask you, what is your tea? What tea would you be serving to everyone tonight? Oh, great question. So I decided to write that down because I'm terrible at coming up with things on the spot. So my tea is teaching excellence and art. Oh, I like it. Teaching. What was your E? Excellence. Excellence. So could you tell me a little bit more on this tea? Why you picked those words? Sure. So teaching, um, I've tried to change my career a couple of times, but I keep on coming back to teaching. Um, and I don't know if the audience or if you're a Christian, I am, I feel very strongly that God kept pushing me back into it. I was going, I was planning on going to school full time this year and um, doing gig work, but the harder I tried, the less money I made. And then last minute, literally the week before school started, I was asked to um, join the team here at the school that I'm teaching at now. And so I don't believe in coincidences, so there's really only one explanation for that for me. Um, excellence, I believe strongly that if I'm going to do anything, I need to do the absolute best that I can. And usually anything worth doing once is worth doing it enough times to be to practice it. And if you're going to practice something, you might as well work towards excellence. And art, I think that everything I do is an art. Teaching is an art. Writing is an art, editing is, a, is an art. Um, everything has to be done with finesse and the idea that someone is watching and you have to put beauty in the, into the world. Well, and I, I love that you say that it's all part of art, right? Because it is, it's different degrees of art since it's different creative aspects of bringing something different to the table as well, right? And I really love that you mentioned that it passion and spiritual and all. I'm a very spiritual person, and I I believe that nothing happens for a reason. And we're guided for a reason. People are brought to us for a reason. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't understand, but it, everything is connected for a reason. And Absolutely. I really want to thank you for sharing that because for the viewers and listeners out there who join Tea Time, they come to this table to learn the different arts of tea. And that's what tea is. It's an art. It's the past, the present, and the future. And that's exactly what your books are, is the eternity, this fantasy, and, you know, getting deep in. So it all aligns. And there's a reason why we were connected. It's because we, the flow is meant to, meant to go, right? It's meant to flow together. So, Zachary, let's get into the music. Sure. What kind of music do you play? And what kind of music do you love? Such a great question. So my bachelor's degree was actually in um, classical vocal music. Ooh. So I have done all sorts of things. I've done everything from 
sort of the classics of country. I sang um, Light of a Clear Blue Morning by Dolly Parton for my singer recital. I've done um, some French music from the Romantic and Baroque periods. I've done a lot of Italian arias and I actually, oh, what was the name of it? I started in an opera when I was in college um, about the three wise men and they go on this journey um, and meet a crippled boy who's healed and it's a Christmas miracle. It's really cute. Um, if I remember the the title of it before the end, I'll, I'll have to um, just let you know what it is. It's not coming to me. Um, Beyond that, I play the piano, I play the violin, not as well as I would like to, but I do play it, <laughs> at least um, the theory of it. Um, I play the ukulele, I've done bell choirs, um, I've obviously been in a few choirs myself. Um, I would say that there's very few types of music that I don't love or at least can appreciate on an intellectual level. There are some things that I may not you know, listen to, like I may not sit down and listen to a bunch of hip hop right in a row, but I can understand and appreciate the history of how we got that and its roots in jazz and in African folk music. So um, the only thing that I really can't listen to is like Screamo because it hurts <laughs> to listen to it. Yeah, it's not, well, I guess it is music for some, but for me too, it's like, a, like I can't make out what you guys are doing. You guys are just yelling and screaming, right? Mm -hmm. So. I would have never guessed classical when I asked you that, Zachary. I, I kind of figured you'd be like a rock, a rock, like old soul kind of folks uh, kind of guy. But classical really got me there. Yeah, so what is well, it about the opera? Like, not it, opera is a very, um, very deep taste. Yeah, you have to either like it or you either love it. Yeah, I don't think there's a liking. I think you either love it or you kind of hate it. Yeah. Um, because it's such an intellectual exercise because it's not like picking up your iPod and listening to, oh, I don't know, who are people listening to? Cardi B or, or someone like that or Justin Bieber. It's not going to be like listening to pop or R&B or something that's easily accessible because in order to appreciate opera, you have to know how hard those singers worked to get to that point because it's not easy to sing opera. I have a degree in vocal music. I spent, you know, 20, 30 hours a week practicing singing. And I am not equipped to jump into operatic performance even now. That takes years of intense focus training to do that. I find the opera is very deep. If you close your eyes, I find I can connect better when my eyes are closed with opera. Mm -hmm. When my eyes are open, I'm kind of like, what are you, what? I'm, I'm trying to figure it out too much. So if I close my eyes, I can actually connect with it. Does that help you as well? For me, there's a lot of symbolism in the movement and in the motioning too, because it's such a whole body experience. I remember going to see an opera with one of my friends um, a few years back, and there was so much emotion both in the presentation and in the expressions on the face. Um, 
I also think it's one of the few musical art forms that is unintentionally and so it's beautifully diverse because at that level of performance, you can't be looking to fill any sort of diversity quota. So you have this beautiful blend of different people from different cultures and different ethnicities coming together because they are the best singers possible for those roles. And so it's, it's really wonderful to see so many different kinds of people excelling at music in that way. So the language of opera, is it Italian? It's really dependent on where it comes from. Um, a lot of the most well-known operas are Italian. A lot of people are familiar with um, a lot of Puccini's operas. So familiar, in fact, that um, one of them was adapted to into the rock opera Rent. That oh. was originally based on a Puccini opera. And I can't remember that I am. My brain is falling out tonight because I'm not remembering. <laughs> it's a big but, move to Mississippi, right? Yeah, so much. I'm going to have to look this up because that's going to that one is going to drive me crazy. Okay, opera, Puccini. So, do you have a band any, or or you play in clubs? Like, how do you bring your music to the table? Um, you know, I was actually asked to start a men's group at my at the school that I'm at. Um, for among the faculty, there are some people that are interested in being in one. And I sang for church one week, and now they want me to lead out in this. And I found out that the opera, in, in case people love Rent and want to go back and watch the original, it's La Boheme. Oh. And that's um, spelled, I can actually probably put it on my little piece of paper because it doesn't sound like how it's spelled. La Boheme, if anyone is interested in oh. seeing the original Rent. Cool. I'm going to have to check it out. It's really interesting because, of course, Rent um, takes sort of the modern problem of AIDS. They have a disease in that, too, that plays a pretty pivotal role, but it's tuberculosis or what they would call consumption back in the day. So, see, music is almost like writing, right? It's mm -hmm. almost like the creative arts because you need all the different characters, the different vocals, the different storyline, right? Oh, it's absolutely. that backstory. Uh, and opera is a big performance, it is like amazing. So, if you have never checked out opera, I truly encourage everyone to check that out as well. Oh, it's huge! It's if nothing else, if if you're just a big old music geek, if, or if you love Broadway, seeing where Broadway got its start is a really interesting experiment because I've always loved Broadway. And I think knowing kind of how Broadway kind of got its start was really interesting because Broadway kind of got its start because people, certain thinkers, um, Wagner, a famous German composer among them, thought that we had taken music as far as it was going to go. Whether we had or not at that point or wherever, whether everything past Wagner is a de-evolution of music is up for debate. But he thought that we'd taken music as far as it could go. So he started adding spoken word into his operas and, you know, take two hits, skips and a jump later. 
And you have the modern American Broadway, which has been taken back to Europe and has given us such classics like Hamilton, I think is a new classic. And we would not have had Hamilton if it wasn't for Puccini. And that's an amazing book as well to read, right? But when you see it oh. on Broadway, it's completely different. Like it really opens up the storyline, right? And I yes. I think that's where the creative creativity comes is the different aspects of what we can do with a story when we write fantasy and we write science fiction, we can really open the doors and we can open the minds of mm. what to expect. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we put people together, like the team, like you said, like your brother and your cousin and all that, we put this team together. We can actually create a beautiful Broadway. We can create a beautiful picture and a masterpiece in the end. So I see great things coming for your books. Like, and this children's book, you have to let me know when it comes out. Cause I for sure will grab a copy for my granddaughter. <laughs> So Zachary, I want to get more back into the creative writing. For anyone who would like to get into it, you're, you're a teacher and you've been teaching English for a while. Now you're going into math. What skills have you taught your, your students that has impacted their lives with creative writing? I think that the biggest thing that anyone can do is to allow yourself to both ask and answer the question, what if? That is the, because of course, if anyone is familiar with um, improv, the rule is to say yes and. With creative writing, it's what if, okay, so this happens, and then what if, and then what if, and then what if? It's sort of that adaptation where you don't have another person feeding off of. So you have to continuously ask yourself questions and answer it and continue down that road until you have a satisfying ending. Well, thanks for sharing that, Zach. Uh, so I see that there's uh, different steps of when you write a book, right? There's the editing, there's the illustration, there's the building on all that. So how many steps is there actually to creating a fantasy book? Oh goodness, how much time do you have? You can really break it down as far as you want. You can break it down as far as creating the infrastructure that your world has. So for example, if I really cared that much or if I needed that for my creative process, I could go into how the sewer system worked in the capital cities of each of the countries that um, my world has. I have not gone that far, um, but someone like James Cameron might, because when he was creating um, Avatar with the Navi, the blue people, um, he went so far as to hire an ethnomusicologist to create an entirely new kind of music for the Navi. So he had this big grand creative process where he, like he created an entirely new culture and it feels and reads, if you go into that, like a real civilization. Um, so you can go that deep or you can kind of go surface level. I'm somewhere in the middle where I definitely created sort of kind of baseline cultural markers 
for the different races in my books and sort of rules of operation. But I guess if we're going broad strokes, you've got world building, character building, plotting slash story building, writing, editing, revising, and publication. So I guess seven broad steps, but some of those can be taken in any order you want them to. So you can move them around, right? They don't need to be yeah. in that order. Up until you actually have to sit down and write the book, you can kind of move around the other points any way you want. You can even kind of do character building while you're writing. Personally, I've never found it helpful to pre-write my characters because that part, I, I can get to know my characters pretty well just by writing them. Um, I might spend a little bit more time getting to know and pre-writing the main character. But beyond that, I'm probably going to get to know them more from interacting with them as I write rather than actually going into um, really specific details. So how do you create your plots and your characters? So my characters, it's not an interesting answer there. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going interesting here. <laughs> my characters are kind of created out of necessity. Okay. Um, rather than rather than just because I really love this person, I needed them to exist. Um, everyone in my books has formed or has served some kind of a role. Like they're there for a reason. And their primary purpose is to go and serve the plot. Um, and then plotting or creating the, the story initially is it, it's kind of hard to put into, into words. I mean, I've gone over the process of what exactly I do, but I think that to a certain extent, inspiration has to strike. Um, I can't, at least I've never been able to sit down and just come up with something brilliant. Um, but I'll have moments where kind of that perfect alignment of something happening around me and um, creative juices flowing will line up. Like I had it the other day, I was actually, um, I teach at a Christian school, so I was doing worship at the beginning over my classes and I was reading um, the story about Rahab and spies that visited Jericho. And I thought that would be a really interesting story to adapt in my universe as a prequel story. So I wrote it down and uh, there's quite a bit more to do other than just, because the story itself in the Bible is really rather short. So there's gonna have to be some kind of fluffing to create something more out of it. But it's, it's moments like that. Um, or it might be hearing an interesting turn of phrase or a word. Um, someone put the words white and raven to get together 
And I wrote that down and that's turned into the seed of a story that I'm going to be writing, which is sort of a paranormal Stepford Wives. Um, where White Raven is a gated community and a human family moves in, but they don't know that they're the only human family. Oh. So. And when does that come out? <laughs> that one, I have no idea. I have not started actually writing it yet, but the idea is there. It's a story, Steve, that, um, that I have written down and I have... Um, I have sort of the rudimentary pieces of what it's going to be as a story, but I haven't fully plotted it out or started writing it yet. So do you sometimes hear keywords or something and you're being like, that's, that's going to be a character in the next book or, mm -hmm. you know, like, do you make like little notes in a note, little journal book or any of that stuff? I always have my phone on me. So I use the notes app. It's a really great thing. I'm so glad that Apple included that only, I don't know how many updates ago they put it in, but it's very helpful. I love my notes. <laughs> I'm always using it too. So Zachary, I, the roles, you mentioned the roles. Are they like relationship roles that you feel that need to be in your life? Like, or they were members of your family or something happened in your life that these roles need to be there? Sometimes. Um, I will say that, especially for writing attorneys, as well, I had gone through a, a huge, huge loss um, when I was able to come back and write that. Um, so some of those roles, some of it became really cathartic. Um, there are conversations between um, Michael Rex, he's um, the wise professor that joins them on their journey, and the other characters that um, sort of became this conversation between me and God trying to deal with the loss that I was feeling. The, the story actually changed quite a bit because of the loss that I went through. Um, because previously the characters were a little bit flat and one dimensional. I will fully admit that. Past that, um, all of the characters, all of the main characters went through a huge loss of someone important in their lives, uh, like I had. And that turned them into really interesting characters with something that they've lost and stakes to keep from losing more and to hopefully regain what they'd lost. Um, so in, in a way, a, a lot of times, yes, I think that my own life and what I go through ends up on the page um, in a lot of ways. Um, I've kind of grown past that in a way, because I'm kind of, after writing three books, I'm kind of over that loss. Yeah. But, um, you know, I believe in happy endings, so I'm kind of building that redemption back in even though that's not something that I can really put together for myself in the real world. Well, and it kind of opens the mind of the reader as well to understand the writer behind, right? Uh, I know when I read a book, I always like to know a little bit about the, the writer personally. Why did they create these creatures or, or characters or plots, you know? 
Is it to find solution in their life? Is it because they've gone through it or they know somebody who has gone through it and they want to just make it magical and more imaginary and, uh-huh. and stuff like that where it lightens it up, right? Because sometimes grief yeah. does get hard and gets heavy. So we've kind of lightened it up with adding some magic to it, adding some imagination to it. And I think that's where creative writing really comes in is our, our life comes to the paper and then the paper tells the story, right? Right. I have this this philosophy that I live by that story is how we learn. The greatest teachers in history from Aristotle to um, the Buddha to um, even in Christian theology, Jesus, all taught using stories and comparisons. And I think that's very telling that um, wisdom says to teach someone something of importance. You tell them a story. And that's how we learn, right? Through storytelling Mm -hmm. and expressing ourselves through the story that we've lived through. So, Zach, I had asked you one word that describes you as a person, and you gave me the word persistent. Why that word? I think because I have had so many roadblocks, and yet I haven't let that stop me. You know, I think that something that's kind of common in in society today, unfortunately, is when you have a kind of crud on you, the easy thing to do is to give up and to say, I'm just not going to try anymore. I mean, we see that with um, with people's approach to anything from politics to their relationships with their families or any given thing, like we'll just say, oh, well, it is what it is. I'm not going to try. We have this sort of nihilistic outlook as a society. Um, where, oh, nothing matters, and it's okay, and it's so encouraging that nothing matters, but life is deeply meaningful, and I think that the only way that it gets better is if we are persistent, and if we continue to go where life leads, or if you believe in a deity where your God leads. Um, in my own life, I've seen things go from extraordinarily bad to extraordinarily good. And I don't think that happens when people give up. That's so true. So I also asked you what your favorite color was and you said teal. Mm-hmm. Why that color? I was a very indecisive child <laughs> and green and blue are both gorgeous and teal is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I was really surprised when you gave me that color. It was like, hmm, I, I have a lot of teal in my tea room. So that's why I, I was like, oh, interesting, really interesting. Yeah. So any final words before we wrap up your tea time, Zach, for the listeners and viewers out there, how can they reach you and how can they get your books? Absolutely. So ZacharyHaganWrites.com is my website. Um, I have links to all of my books available on Amazon there. Um, They're also, they're actually pretty much available anywhere that will order from the Ingram catalog. So, I mean, you can walk into a Barnes and Noble and ask them to special order for you. Or 
okay. online at Target, really anywhere that orders um, from the Ingram catalog. Um, it's not popular enough yet that it's stocked on shelves, but we'll get there. Um, but it's actually doing reasonably well. I've actually had some pretty good sustained sales, so it's beginning to pick up speed. Um, I have a contact um, form on my website. I also have my Instagram and my Facebook and my TikTok. All are ZacharyHagen.Writes. Yeah, I, I found that out on Instagram because Zachary had said, no, it's the other one is with the rights. So I, I had found your yes. personal one and then I was like, oh, okay, here we go to the rights. Yeah, I just, I think I, I have very few people that I actually add back. I, I think I sell people from high school and stuff that I haven't taken off of my uh, personal one, but I rarely use it. And when I do, it's really just, <laughs> just that small circle. <laughs> But so anyway, <laughs> well, Zachary, thank you for joining me for having a tea and serving a strong tea, teaching excellent art, you know, because this is what teaching is all about. It's taking the time to teach your tea, teach your your purpose and your passion. And you've talked about that a lot tonight. You brought up the passion, the purpose, and going back to teaching all the time. And I see you as a person who educates a lot of people. You're a role model and and you set an example for many, many people out there. So any final message that you would have for any students out there that may be watching or may tune into this tea time? Tell yourself that you can do hard things because no matter how hard something is for you, your brain can expand. And with the right teacher and the right help, you can learn anything you want to learn. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all the viewers and listeners out there that tuned in. And if you're watching the replay, please push hashtag replay. I always love to hear where you're tuning in from. And if you'd like to know more about Zachary, check him out at his website. It is on the video here. And it'll be in the description for the audio podcast station. So if you want to know anything on Zachary, all the information will be there. And we will see you next Thursday with a new tea time. And next Thursday, we will be talking about self-publishing with Mark Leslie. That's right. Mark Leslie is going to come in and he's going to give us some teaching on self-publishing and all that good stuff because that's what we do is we serve tea to teach educational awareness. That's what Miss Liz is here for. That's the purpose of Miss Liz. Zachary, thank you again for joining me for tea tonight, My sharing God. your story, sharing your books and all of that stuff. And if anybody would like to know more on Zachary, check out Miss Liz's Facebook page. His website is also posted there. All of his good books are all posted there as well. Grab a book and stay tuned for that children's book because we're going to look out for that one and we're going to support you with that one as well. So, Zachary, stay in touch and we will connect again and we will serve another cup of tea in just a little bit because there are a lot of surprises coming with Miss Liz. So stay tuned because December is coming up and if everyone has been paying attention, we are at season three and we are going to be having a reunion show of all the Tea Time guests that have been on in 2022 so some of them may join us and some of them may join us with little videos we don't know there's lots and lots of surprises coming for tea time with miss liz again zach thank you for joining me and if anybody would like to know more about tea time check out miss liz's website at www.misslizesteaparties.com and if you'd like to be a guest and share your story bring some education to the table and serve a good cup of tea you know where to find me i'm on all social media platforms Again, Zachary, thank you. 
And I want to put a special shout out to Mickey Mickelson, who has been giving me these incredible authors and sharing their stories with me. I want to thank you, Mickey, for that as well. And Zach, continue to write, continue to inspire. And who knows, maybe send me a little video of you singing some music or something, okay. some of that good stuff as well. So with that note, we will see you next Thursday, October 13th at 7 p.m. with Mark Leslie for self-publishing. Wishing you guys all a good night, and I will see you next Thursday.